Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Yes, I am Ruben Morehouse and we are back to talk about Null 9.x, an interlude. um, An interlude that we don't know who it is at the start, um, Mm. which is a fun, fun little thing that happens with about half of the interludes, I guess. Yeah, um, I do always enjoy the ones that are a bit of a puzzle at the start as you're yeah. trying to figure out like who or what yeah. uh, it is. Yeah, maybe when we get up to the point where you find out who it, who it was. Well, when did you... Because I kind of started suspecting when people started getting inebriated, but... Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same. It was sort of when, when all the, uh, you know, what we eventually realise, uh, like the... Um, acolytes of dionysus start mm-hmm. joining the party i was like oh this is jeremy meath of course i thought the older guy was jeremy meath and we were closer <laughs> to the present and it yeah. really wasn't until the very end and I-, I think that was by design like i think i fell for a twist that was meant to be laid out like that mm, maybe i don't know i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is a history's arc that you, you usually you see them before they you know entered the story yeah, I did. Well, it, when when the it sort of revealed that Jeremy's a little kid, I was like, "Oh, of course, it's histories." Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, let's dive into it. Um, yeah. So this uh, this chapter begins with a kind of shabby man approaching a group of partying youth and giving them a free case of beer. Nice guy. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And I mean that that's the thing. Like this whole opening sequence to me felt like the opening shots of like one of those monster of the week type yeah a real cold open where you're like and oh that person oh yeah they're gonna die you kind of know just because you're watching the show that the person you're following (laughs) is going to end up dying and then sam and dean have to come in and kill the vampire or whatever yeah exactly it's um it it plays to that sort of trope really well and twists it like on a number of levels um like, like even before you know who's who the the imagery of this sort of old worn or older worn down man uh and like a young lively group of rebellious youths yep um is i mean you know that that's sort of tapping into this cycle imagery we've had throughout the story of you know the um old old people kind of being worn down into the system and and young people thinking they'll change it and uh interesting yeah like I, I don't know, I see some similarities to a lot of other things we've seen in in Jacob's Bell and some of the other histories arcs. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the thing I like about the start of this chapter is, yeah, we are so set up to think these kids are gonna die, but actually, <laughs> it all kind of just is fine in the end. Like nothing too bad really happens to them, as far as we can tell. Like they don't get killed, they don't get abused. I don't know, they're, they're just kind of fine. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting because when when the small smallest boy sort of mm-hmm. starts to figure out something's not right and he's going to leave i was like oh he's gonna cop it the worst yeah. or, 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 or like first. this is gonna be the catalyst that that turns it all bad mm. but no um well yeah i mean arguably yes he did still cop it the worst i mean you know i guess it might depend on who you ask but in general i'd say being awoken <laughs> yeah, and and uh and all that is generally not considered ideal uh in a lot of ways so yeah uh yeah i mean you know jeremy as a young boy kind of proves himself quite smart and he's almost punished for it uh Mm. in a way yeah um so this disheveled man says to these kids because once upon a time i was where you are now and a man did this for me i'm hoping that one day you kids will be in a position to do it too so it kind of feels like he's explicitly here to recruit an acolyte and he kind of mentions that he's looking for an acolyte later i wonder 
if he is targeting Jeremy or or he's just kind of holding auditions. I don't know. I almost think it's like he's open to the idea, but also like he just gets favor from going out and getting teenagers into drunk orgies. Uh, yeah. So you know he is in a he is in a position where he's hoping that one day the kids will be going out and doing it because karmically that might still be tied to him or you know the Dionysus yeah, will understand yeah. that he started this trend. Yeah, fair enough. Get him into the partying lifestyle. Yeah. Um. So these youths party and hardly even notice when a gaggle of beautiful men and women come and join their party. Except one boy notices and kind of in air quotes confronts the disheveled man. I don't know, but uh, this is the thing I want to touch on because he's. It's not actually clear what Jeremy's doing at this point. He kind of starts to slip away, maybe to run away, maybe to get help, but kind of is interrupted by the man and then just starts listening to him. It's hard for me to get a read on what Jeremy's trying to do here at this point. Yeah, so because I think a big theme of this chapter for me is uh, who is Jeremy loyal to? Mm. Uh, You know, sort of Jeremy's allegiances or motivations are sort of a big thing in his interlude i mean obviously Mm. um but like you're right when you sort of read carefully there's actually no indication in the narration that he was like had any plan except for just like getting the fuck out of there yeah Um, like he sets himself up as somebody who watches over the group uh in a way and cares for them but like when the shit hits the fan it does kind of seem like he was just getting ready to run well yeah i'm kind of curious about that because you're right he's he explicitly says like i'm keeping an eye out on the group but then you know when something happens i don't like it that's what makes me think that maybe he's going to get help but again that's not really like confirmed in the text so it's kind of curious like yeah figuring out exactly what his plan actually was here yeah, and I think this is something the chapter is dealing with, so it makes sense that it's not just, like, super spelled out right at the start. Yeah. Um, I do like how, before we know this is Jeremy, like, you sort of instantly get a bit of respect and are endeared to the smart little kid who can tell something's wrong. Like, you're yeah. like, yeah, you, you know, you go, you little battler. And, yeah. um, and you think he's cool, and then it's like, oh, actually, that was Jeremy. And it's like, that was, that was like, a bit of a twist for me, because it was like, you know, Jeremy's generally, I, I see him as, like, you know, this jaded Mm. you know asshole individual and so Mm. seeing him as kind of the young kid is like i think a powerful way to open it because it forced me to go back to the drawing board with my evaluation of jeremy as a person and and really like try to see his perspective in the chapter like i think it works really well to do that and i guess that's why so many of these histories start like that is because a lot of the elder characters that we get histories arcs on are jerks i mean like <laughs> we kind of know them as jerks in the story and so getting us a kind of anonymous glimpse into their life before they become the jerks that we all know and love really helps kind of i don't know d- deepen them without putting us uh, without making us kind of antagonists to their story from the get-go yeah and again i think it also fits into all that stuff i've been saying about you know how everyone's kind of young and idealistic at the start and yeah yet, true almost all of them seem to end up you know part of the machine yeah um, so yeah, so the disheveled man is a, a priest of Dionysus and asks Jeremy if he'd like to give his life to a god in exchange for some power and infinite drinks and potentially a shot at greatness and also a custom built, uh, woman, I guess, is another benefit that is listed. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. We sort of get our first insight into what, what this, what, what being like an acolyte of a god is really sort of like. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, it does seem like a fairly sweet 
deal if your god's not a total jerk, which well, it sounds like they all actually are. Yeah, it because seems... the nice gods get killed off by <laughs> the mean ones. It seems easy going, but I think that's a product of Dionysus rather than of being an acolyte in general. Because um, oh yeah, yeah, because basically it seems very much like just kind of do stuff for Dionysus, and eventually, if you've done enough stuff, he'll do something for you, and that's kind of how it goes. Um, but I imagine that if you're an acolyte of a different god, that would not work out like that. Well, it'd come down so much to what it's the god of, right? Like Dionysus yeah, is the god of like fertility and wine. Like that's uh, that's pretty hedonistic and about indulging your pleasures. Whereas, like if yeah. you, you know, if it's a god of war, like fun is probably not on the cards. Well, uh, unless it's god of war for PlayStation, in which case fun's definitely on the cards. <laughs> Go out and get a copy today, guys. Um, but no, you're right. Wait, uh, are we sponsored uh, by Sony? Now? Yeah, surprise. <laughs> No, you're right, though. Um, yeah, like, and obviously a lot of the gods seem to have uh, order as one of their kind of domains, I guess is the D&D term for mm. it, um, being very kind of having rituals and stuff, whereas Dionysus's rituals are a lot more of the partying kind. Um, yeah. So again, I- I'm kind of curious why we think Jeremy says yes here, like... And it actually makes me think, like, it's hard to get a good read on him. And and he kind of mentions that he's tipsy, but not drunk. And it kind of gives me this vibe of, like, Jeremy being seduced by the power of Dionysus. Like, he kind of, there's a line, I think, where it's something like he got a glimpse at what it could be like you know, controlling that power and it was uh, intoxicating, maybe isn't dizzying. The word. Dizzying, yeah. Um, but I think intoxicating is also quite an apt word. Uh, yeah. I... I, I I kind of feel like Nathan, the the elder uh, practitioner, is, I don't know, uh, sweetening his words a bit or, or sweetening the deal conceptually to, to Jeremy. That I, There's nothing really to support that, but I, I, I kind of am confused enough by why Jeremy is so blasé about this that it makes me feel like there's something else going on. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely, as you said, he's a bit tipsy, and obviously, you know, you could imagine that that gives Dionysus a bit of a foothold Yeah. Um, in, in some sort of magical way. Uh, also, of course, it just sort of, alcohol impairs your sort of decision-making, long-term thinking abilities, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I think is an important part of being an acolyte of Dionysus. I mean, yeah. like, like, I think the reason Jeremy stands out to them is that while he's tipsy, he still sort of manages to figure out what's going on, and that's mm. something you'd need to be able to do as an acolyte of uh, Dionysus because mm. you need to be drunk all the time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my read on it from Jeremy's perspective is very much like, I, I think you're right. It, it, it's a power thing. Like, we, you know, he's sort of been defined to us up until now as someone who's really been making a play for Lord of the City. So I think it's pretty clear that, like, he's got, ambitions for power and all that and it makes sense that he might have had those even now like you know he is someone who the idea of getting special powers in favor of a god appealed to yeah that's fair i i think i'd like to see more of where that came from because i feel like that's something that has been driving his decisions but it doesn't feel like it feels like that's a concept that he just kind of has out of thin air not a not a kind of characteristic that was built by something i don't know Maybe yeah, I'm well, kind we of yeah. We don't really see into his head uh, until after he's already become one. Yeah, of the exactly. Yeah, I I kind of am. This is the part about his history that I'm really curious about. Is like why he is like this. Where it seems like this history yeah. arc just kind of presumes that he is like this already. Um. Anyway, he, he so he, Jeremy agrees to be an initiate, and we uh, jump forward in time. 
Jeremy is about to do something crazy. Um, he claims a domain and then afterwards asks Dionysus to back him up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty great. Yeah, um, it's awesome. And, and the, the section keeps opening with stuff like uh, Nathan, his... Uh, his dad. His, his what, practitioner master. dad, yeah. Yeah, his prac dad um, is saying stuff like, you know, this isn't a system you can just game. Yeah, but it totally uh, whatever. is. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's exactly what he's done. Yeah. Uh, is is the hilarious thing about that is he does kind of game the system. And I think well, it's interesting to look at the longer term implications of that because it kind of seems like it worked really well. Yeah, he uh, seems to right be now. like, uh, I don't know. I, I guess it's the right, this is the right place to bring this up. Jeremy has never really seemed very powerful, right? Like I kind of had him in the same category as Sisters of the Torch where, or Elder Sister, where it was like, yeah, you've, you've said you wanted to make a play for Lord of Toronto or whatever, but I've never actually seen any power from you that indicates that you could actually really do that. But then obviously we see Elder Sister in her element and she is powerful enough. And I think this is us seeing Jeremy it, it to the same extent, right? And and later on, obviously, we see more of how powerful he actually can be under the right conditions. He actually seems like he's a pretty ideal candidate for Dionysus. Like, he's <laughs> very, he seems to be very, very good at what he does here. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I was a little confused before, like, most of the time about how he thought he was at that level. Like, yeah, know, Conquest... And people like Isadorus just seem a step above everyone else where you're yeah. kind of like, yeah, I don't understand how someone like the sisters is meant to rule. Uh, and, and Jeremy was always kind of the same. Yeah. Um. But but I think what's interesting is, yes, this gamble here works for him where he makes the domain. Yeah. But as he sort of says at the start, as an acolyte of a god, this is when you get your biggest boons. And yeah. he gets a bunch of cool shit. But, you know, 20 minutes after having this domain versus like, you know, what are we we're 20 30 years later mm. uh when we're dealing with like blake and stuff is he that much more powerful it sounds no, like he's accumulated right. a couple of more objects yeah. but it really does feel like he he hit the ground running and and hasn't really you know kept that momentum he's kind of stagnated uh since he did it yeah and i suspect uh, maybe that's not a f- entirely fair criticism because it does feel like whatever 10 or 15 years ago after the failed attempt he kind of like fell off the wagon to the extent that yeah. he didn't keep climbing or even really maintain like active practicing um which I mean, makes... presumably sandra leaving didn't help with yeah that, considering how the chapter sort of ends yeah so so maybe he was growing in power up to that point and then from the after that failed he kind of whatever yeah, that's fair um but you're right that he he like we see he's got a few more tricks up his sleeve and he but he seems about as good as a practitioner as he is now later mm. right um anyway so dionysus backs jeremy's gamble here uh sending a bunch of followers and gifts uh m- some of whom uh, most of whom actually are nathan's uh so nathan leaves kind of bitter that he's been usurped and uh lost faith from his uh from his from his god yeah and, and again i i now I feel like a broken record, but you know he's he's replaced his mentor, yeah. Sort of, and he and he feels like he's doing this big change to the cycle when he does it. He's like, oh, look at me and my sick domain thing that I yeah. got. Like, you know, I, I've done so much, and then we skip forward to where he is today, and he's kind of just a you know cog in he's the machine. He's washed up, right? yeah. Uh it's um, yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it's it's just sort of. I I see this whole chapter is another little example that we that we've been seeing in jake as well of people sort of aiming to change up the system and just ending up falling into it anyway mm. yeah 
Yeah, that's interesting. That is a, a good kind of thematic through line that I hadn't picked out, but it makes a lot of sense. Jeremy's another example of this, right? And we keep mm. seeing examples of it. I don't know. Maybe the yeah. system will never change. Um, I wanted to pull out a line that I really liked uh, when Jeremy has just started his domain ritual, but no challenger is there yet. Um, it says, The room grew darker as spirits claimed the space. It waited in a state of flux, ready, yet not quite his. There's nothing too <laughs> deep about this. I just think it's a cool image of, like, the spirits claiming the domain, waiting to see how the, how the uh, challenge plays out, and the, and the room literally darkens, just kind of hanging in the balance. It's just a fun oh, yeah. image. I mean, it's great. It, it, it's great ambiance um, for the, the sort of fight scenes that will be coming up. Uh, I mean, I love how Pact kind of gets a free pass to do this sort of stuff because of the spirits. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so the first challenge, challenger shows up, and it is Doug uh, with a young, uh, a young apprentice Diana in tow. Uh, and Doug negotiates to play Moraburaba, or for Diana to play, and for him to drink a, drink a shot for each piece that gets captured. Um, I, I really love this whole segment because like, the, more, the more we sort of learn about Doug and Diana, the more you sort of realise they're really just here to play the games. Like, yeah. Yeah, this totally. Just... He's like, so let, which board game should we play? Whereas Isadora's <laughs> like, let's fucking fight. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah like, like Doug and Diana are just here to socialise pretty much. Yeah. And like, yeah, I have this totally. funny image of of them like rushing because they have to get there first because you can just imagine like, oh, we, we've got to get there first because if Isadora beats us, it's going to be all like serious and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's not, he's not going to want to play cool board games if he's just been in a fist fight with the Sphinx. <laughs> yeah, got to get there before Isadora marshes the vibe. Um, so I wanted to touch on Morabaraba because I love kind of finding out about traditional games that are very interesting. Um, and, and so Morabaraba kind of takes a, a little bit of this story up. And so I thought I'd give a, a bit of backstory on it, what it is. Kind of monster corner, but for board games. I don't know what we call that. A meeple, um, a meeple corner. I don't understand the, the joke you're the, making there. The board but, um, game heads will get that one. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I'd never heard of this game and uh, I was really glad when you did the research on it because yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So it, it's a game that's uh, about arranging pieces, circular pieces, but they're called cows in Moribaraba. Um You arrange them into rows of three, which is called a mill. And each time you kind of arrange a cow into a mill, you get to shoot one of the opponent's cows, which just takes the piece out of play. Um, and so basically the, 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 the core of the game is it's kind of like uh, tic-tac-toe on steroids, I would say. Um, it's about moving these cows around in order to make mills, which opens up more of the board, which opens up more potential moves. And eventually, once you've taken, once you've shot all of the opponent's cows, you win. Um, so this game's from South Africa originally, and it's it's like a yeah I I I do like the comparison to tic tac toe on steroids because it is about like making a line of three. Um, yeah, it reminds me of like like based on the the small video you sent me mm. uh, of two people playing it, uh, it was kind of like tic tac toe crossed with go. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's one of those kind of traditional strategy games where it's it's quite easy to understand the rules like a go or a, a chess maybe chess is a bit more complicated but it's very simple it's all about capturing pieces but it's got a lot of strategic depth once you've been playing it for a while um so there's mm. a line later on where uh where jeremy wins this game uh, where he 
where he thinks, Once the board was arranged so he could move one stone between two rows of two stones, completing one after the other with each turn, he had dug reeling. And so what he's set up here is that he's set up two rows of two and one cow that just moves between these two rows each turn, making a mill, which captures a, one, a piece one after the other and basically is a pretty <laughs> tough situation to beat. Um, I, just like, I just like that while Bo is like, what are some interesting traditional games that people could play in these challenges and just finds <laughs> one and, and uh, inserts it into this world. I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and of course, you know, there's a sort of through line here where uh, Jeremy sort of chalks up the fact that he's able to win this to the fact that uh, Diana is too young to... Mm look far enough into the future which <laughs> look I, I look i'll just i'll just finish it there i think you all know where i'm going with this now uh-huh. <laughs> yeah um yeah uh, so let's touch on doug while we're here because he just seems like a cool guy he seems like he'd be a really <laughs> nice and supportive mentor which kind of explains why diana is so uh, you know so kind of respectful and in awe of who he was yeah, he totally lives up to the hype. He's as awesome and wholesome as Diana made him out to be. Yeah, he's uh, awesome. For sure. I Like, unless there's more to learn about Doug uh, at the moment, I'm just like, he's just like a cool, yeah. nerdy dude who was into magic. Yep, and, and unfortunately, <laughs> nice people don't seem to survive too long in this world. Um, nope. Anyway, speaking of nice people, the second challenger arrives, and it's Isadora. And she says, trial by combat. Yeah, I mean, the fun and games are over, like, the second yep. you find out the next person's is a door, it's just like, yep, okay, yeah. serious shit now. It really does it up to 11, right? Because obviously we know that, that old Jezza here is going to survive, but... From what we've seen of Isadora's combat capability, she's basically on another level. And so mm. it's kind of, it sets it up really interestingly where it kind of feels like he should die here, but we know he doesn't. So what's going on? And it makes a really interesting kind of dramatic irony slash tension thing happen. Yeah, well, exactly. As you, as you said, you know Jeremy's going to survive, so the tension is entirely coming from how the fuck is he going to yeah. do this? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, well, I guess we see pretty quickly. Yes. So he basically asks Dionysus for a gift in order to win, and Dionysus gives him a horn of blood, which he drinks, uh, and he blacks out and then wakes up kind of battered uh, with uh, having only consumed a fifth of this blood. Basically, having gone into a crazy fighting blood rage where he's beaten the shit out of Isadora, and she is subdued enough that she agrees not to contest his challenge uh, in exchange for him meeting some girls, which obviously is Duchamp's. Yeah, um, and he gets a thyrsus, which is mm. you know a a, wep- well, a weapon that was associated with Dionysus, and in Greek culture, it's this it's a staff with a pine cone on top. Um, <laughs> and I always thought that that was a fucking weird weapon, but, uh, I mean, you know, it 1v1s Isadora pretty well, so, yeah. uh, I guess I have to take back all the judgments <laughs> of a stick with a pine cone on Do the Do you think end. he, like, beat beat her with it? Like, I wonder. Well, I mean, it can't be a Poked natural pine it. cone, or it yeah, would have shattered. Right. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> like, Who knows? It must be bladed. Like, I guess if the pine cone bits were, like, reinforced and bladed, that could be pretty serious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we kind of skip over the bit where Jeremy meets Sandra. Um, but we cut cut yeah. to them basically right after they've gotten married later. But before we jump to that, I kind of want to talk about Jeremy and Sandra, th- like why Isadora was wanted to matchmake them here. Um, so it's clear Isadora doesn't doesn't like Dionysus, doesn't really like Jeremy, does like Conquest, right? And we a bit, or Conquest being mm. in power at least. Um, and so that's that's the lens that you kind of have to view this through. And so my main two theories are that Isadora wanted Conquest to stay in power and thought Sandra would either kind of level Jeremy out a bit or, 
like accidentally or maybe intentionally fuck up Jeremy's bid for power. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious what you think about this. Yeah, so I I think I I, I don't even know if Isadora was thinking that much in terms of the the bids for power and and like mm. Jeremy going for conquest. I think the bit I'm more focused on is just that she doesn't like his god, and I think she you know the Duchamps are probably the best people with a chance to get someone who he'll actually fall for which you know they do they do yeah uh, and it doesn't go over that well with Dionysus so I think it, it's just in general she just doesn't really like him and his god so she decides to set them up to sort of weaken his relationship with his god and, and thus you know weaken him that's where all his power comes from yeah that makes sense to me uh, I'll accept that um so yeah uh they are match made and they end up getting married and now Jeremy and Sandra are kind of hanging out right after their wedding, kind of enjoying domestic bliss. <laughs> but um, Jeremy is is a very awkward man and is really not sure how to act around his now wife. Yeah, I want to pull out this line from when he first goes to see her in this section, uh, where it says, Sandra sat in a windowsill, domain to her left, window to her right, the view of Toronto outside his personal realm and temple. Mm. And I mean, yeah, we just had that whole talk about what left and right hands mean. Um, so it's hard not to read into this imagery and, and, you know, there's a whole paragraph then about how she's kind of indifferent to everything in the room with her. So Mm. she doesn't feel super invested or like into it, uh, at this start thing. Like I can see why Jeremy is struggling to see her interest or, you know, to decide what kind of tolerance she is engaging in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess- Reading that, the the left-handed side of her facing towards, you know, his domain and him and all his servants is showing some, uh, I don't know, indifference, uh, passiveness. Yeah, that was sort of my read on it, um, is, yeah, she she doesn't seem that into it in this section, I guess I'll say. Like, um, tolerance seems like a good word. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the other thing we find out from this section is that Jeremy was trying to get Sandra to say no to his marriage proposal, which kind of explains why he was such a dick to her back in that scene <laughs> where they met. Um, but she said yes, and now he doesn't know what to do, which I really like. <laughs> I mean, like, that surprised everyone when she said yes, yeah. I think. Yeah, uh, especially her, I think. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it recontextualizes some stuff a bit. I think he was kind of open about the fact that he wasn't interested, Um when he came uh so but I, what we really sort of see here is that yeah he he was caught off guard by sandra uh in more ways than one mm. uh when this happened and and obviously we've seen this from her point of view so we know kind of her thought process as she came into this which was i need to do this for the family so yeah they're they're, they're sort of come at this both from very different uh but equally surprised sides i think yeah yeah it's a really it feels like a, a big coincidence that they both just happen to to be kind of fall into saying yes which is interesting um but the, the other thing about this section is jeremy you kind of really do get the vibe that he's becoming quite fancy of on her right like he's becoming warm to her as isadora would say <laughs> um, I, I want to read out a section here where he thinks, The doubts dis- didn't disappear, but they didn't sit as heavily as before. This wasn't love at first sight, infatuation, or even falling in love, creaning head over heels into love's grip. He did think, however, that there could come a day, not tomorrow, not in a week, a month, or maybe even a year, when he did love her. Um, which is basically him thinking, I'm not falling in love with her, but I, 
I think I will be in love with her, which <laughs> does mean that he is falling in love with her, obviously. It, yeah, I mean, he's just so fucking poorly equipped to deal with genuine emotions. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of adorable. Like, he just... Yeah. I, I agree. I think he's already kind of falling head over heels for it. He just... He's been so hollowed out by years as, as an acolyte of Dionysus, he doesn't really understand what's happening. Yeah, I guess he, he would be pretty desensitized to, I don't know, like, romantic emotions just from being a, an acolyte. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's interesting. I guess I guess we'll talk about this now. Like, I went back and reread 3.x, or all the bits with Jeremy, mm-hmm. uh, in 3.x to sort of tackle this chapter, and there's definitely... I mean... Sandra was very much coming at their relationship uh, when 9-11 happened from this perspective of she knew that the best way she could help him was through um, just sort of being his companion. Like, there wasn't much physically yeah. to their relationship. Yeah. It was definitely much more of an emotional one. Yeah. Uh, and, and we sort of see here the seeds of that being laid as as Jeremy comes to terms with the fact that he can actually have, like, feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say it now. I really do ship these two. Like, I love them as a couple. I just want them to be together and be happy. It's interesting. I Rereading 3.x, there's definitely an acceptable read of that chapter that says that Sandra didn't have super strong feelings for him and yeah. and does just sort of see him as another tool. Yeah, uh, which I get me, that. Which has uh, me worried. Yeah, I don't know. And that kind of sits with how this... Uh, chapter ends a bit um yeah, yeah but we'll get to that so we we kind of jump forward in time again and jeremy is heading to jacob's bell for the lordship contest uh, and he's packed tight into a clown car with seven other nymphs and satyrs and an ibex driving i mean obviously everything to do with this uh with this ibex driving is, <laughs> it is like very 10 good. out of 10 comedy yes it's, it's, it's awesome. hilarious i i would uh, love to see more of them packed into the car like it <laughs> It feels like a very uh, packed as a sitcom scene. <laughs> um, and you know what they say about Ibixes being bad drivers. I mean, I didn't want to say it, but it does seem like it's true. I mean, I, I definitely have the headcanon that he seduced the driving instructor <laughs> to, to pass the test. Yeah. Like, that just seems like it would be on point for yeah. for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. it's always funny when we get others doing, like benign human things and yeah. this is a great example of it i think <laughs> yeah you're right it's good um uh, so so but, but yeah well so, you know obviously the main section here is jeremy is kind of miserable leaving yeah. toronto like he doesn't do this he doesn't leave toronto he's not enjoying this trip but he's he's doing it for sandra um, yeah yeah who he may or may not have feelings he definitely has feelings for it, it is set up how much of a struggle it is for him to move around in toronto because he's kind of lost conquest's favor um Mm. which is interesting it's kind of implied that he can like teleport around toronto most of the time uh yeah well he just says oh i i used to be able to travel but now i can't i have to have a car and i was like okay so what the fuck does travel (laughs) yeah exactly what does travel mean Uh, yeah (laughs) <laughs> um, that's anywho. clearly there's a meaning to that word i do not understand yeah uh so so they arrive they they don't crash too much uh they arrive uh and uh they they rock up at johannes's dimension uh, domain actually almost dimension but that's not too far off and they ask <laughs> uh jeremy asks johannes for residence while they're here basically like hey can i stay at, at your domain like all the other you know out of town others do and and it's Johannes is clearly confused because he is clearly here to, you know, be be allied to Sandra against Johannes in this in this uh in this uh, contest. So it's 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 an interesting one. It's an interesting bit bit of a trick. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clearly from the get-go a sort of fact-finding <laughs> yeah. mission, with the idea being that, you know, that obviously cuts both ways. Uh, so there's that there's that whole thing with the practitioners being forced to feign civility in all these things, or not really feign it, but, you know, be obligated to be yeah. civil. Uh, which, I mean, I just love how this world and the fact everyone has to tell the truth kind of means that shit like that can happen. Yeah, it's 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 very, it feels kind of ballsy from <laughs> from Jeremy <laughs> to just rock up and be like, I mean, yeah, we, you know that I'm helping Sandra and I know, but we don't have to say it. Like, let's just be <laughs> chill. <laughs> Yeah, 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 um, and it, uh, and uh, Johannes is confused, but ultimately kind of agrees, um, just because like you get the sense it'll be less effort to just go along with it and maybe get some info. Mm. Um, so Johannes agrees, and Jeremy and Co head to their new apartment uh, with with all the satyrs kind of sniffing out the local others along the way. You get a little rundown on who some of Johannes's uh, uh, le- uh, leashed dogs might be. Mm. And I always love this stuff, so let's talk about this. Um, like genies sound cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of like more Isadoras, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Also, apparently they work on like a macro scale. Like I think the example is like moving mountains and building castles in a day, which yes. Uh, I mean, seems to hint to me that they may have been involved in Johannes's domain creation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, if he was uh, abusing some genie magic, that would be an explanation as to how he did what he did. Yeah, that's fair. Um, there's also a very big ghost. Yeah, who knows what which that the, means. The vague simplicity of that statement makes it so ominous. Like, yeah. I'm just, that's the most terrifying thing. It's like, oh, yeah, sure, genies can move <laughs> mountains and shits, but but this ghost is very big. It's the uh, Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, I'm pretty sure. um no Um, yeah you're right it is it's fun it's it's such a weird thing to to just drop in there Uh, and i hope that means we'll see it later yeah i i i mean i i sort of tweeted about how i i I have the suspicion that jeremy has a plan with his domain like i wonder if he's gathering like you know with his other theme park with all the with all the ghosts or so the vestiges or whatever every time one of them leaves an imprint in his domain presumably he has the ability to sort of capture it and i wonder Mm. if he's just like capturing hundreds of small impressions and building like a super ghost yeah because we did see the shepherd do something similar where he used a lot of ghosts to power up one ghost so maybe something else bombs and stuff yeah yeah so like i'm worried that johannes is sitting on like a uh you know nuclear ghost bomb thing (laughs) yeah maybe um, who knows what a ghost nuke would look like? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> we also, the, one of the satyrs, uh, smells out what is pretty clearly Blake, uh, Blake yeah. having passed n- nearby Johannes's domain. Um, which is interesting because to me that is kind of point saying that Blake isn't traveling through mirrors now. So I don't, I'm kind of confused now. I'm, I don't really know what's going on with Blake. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've sort of given up on trying to figure it out. I'm just gonna wait till wait and see. Uh, wait till tomorrow when I get to read the chapter. Yeah. Um. I mean, it, there is an interesting thing here. So obviously they call him a wraith vestige, yep. which uh is is interesting. Um. Yeah, I have to go and remember exactly what wraiths were all about. They were kind of like twisted up ghosts, right? Mm, mm. Um. So that's so that's that has interesting implications for where he's at mentally. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I like I wonder if he makes this list because he actually smells like powerful enough to be worth mentioning or if the abyss has just made him really stinky so mm. he stood out yeah uh who knows i mean he doesn't seem super powerful from what we've seen of him but he did take down Ur, so he's at least more powerful than a minor demon 
Well, he didn't take down her. He, he escaped from her. Uh, <laughs> it, he said it was a victory, and I'm just going to take him at his word, all right? Um, yeah, I mean, he can't lie. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, obviously, as, as we get more into Blake in Arc 10, it's going to be interesting to see what, what more practical effects uh, his otherization will have had on him. Yeah. Because um, obviously, he's... He's full of spirits now. He's yep. he's like fully an other. Like I, I you know, he's probably going to get abilities because I don't know. Like, can he practice anymore? Like, we have no yeah, idea sort of we, where he's at ability wise. We don't know if he's actually a practitioner still. It's kind of hard to mm. tell. Um, or yeah, or is he a practitioner with yeah other benefits? Like, we, yeah. we, we just have to wait and see. Also, is he in the mirror world or not? Like, we we know nothing <laughs> about where he's at really. Yeah, considering we just had a whole arc devoted to it, it's kind of <laughs> it's strange that we really don't know. Um, uh, so the other th- detail I like here is Jeremy in his uh, toolkit in the back of his uh of his uh, impala there under the under the fake back. Uh, he has a horn of ale that could drive a man into a killing madness. Half finished. <laughs> which is interesting because last time we saw it, it was one fifth finished, um, which means he's yeah. drunk a little more of it since then. It's a nice little detail, isn't it? Yeah. To just sort of flesh out the the gaps and the history. There's yeah. just some implied, uh, you know, uh, a couple, or presumably at least one or two other times that he yes. has uh, had to tap into. Presumably this. during the uh, bid for power in Toronto, maybe somewhere else as well. Um, yeah, I mean, God knows. Yeah, it's fun. Uh so, yeah, Jeremy rocks up at the Duchamp house and kind of waits outside. He's still that same awkward kid, right? He, he doesn't <laughs> go up to Sandra. He just kind of waits for someone to notice him and then tell Sandra that he's here. Um, but eventually that happens. She embraces him and she asks for his help again in defeating the Thorburns. I mean, it's kind of crushing when he's all like, oh, you need me. And she's like, not really. There's just some shit that's gone wrong. And it's, it's a yeah, very business cold. call. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's clearly kind of hurt yeah. by that fact like he's still gonna go through with it but uh i mean he's he's so in love with her and um i i just i'm not getting the impression that uh sandra's feelings for him are anywhere near as strong <sighs> yeah i know i know but i i can hold out hope can't i elliot can't i hold <laughs> out hope that these two end up together i mean i'd love to be wrong because like i i agree i think they kind of work for each other yeah. but uh yeah i mean there's this sort of i i, I worry for the thorburns now because uh I kind of feel like Jeremy's going to be out to a prove himself. Oh yeah, and be, he's got like, something to uh, prove, and, and well, he's going to be angry now uh, mm-hmm. as well. So he's going to—I think he's going to come at them uh, pretty full on. Yeah. Um, another interesting note: Sandra never forgot about Blake or remembered him now or something, uh, which kind of makes sense. Obviously, she's an enchantress, so it makes sense that she would guard her connections. I suppose. Uh, which means that Er would have the most trouble cutting through those or wouldn't have been able to cut through them. Or she has safeguards for when a connection is cut. That yeah. It doesn't have the same effect on her internally. Yeah, totally. Um, um, so that's yeah, a fun I mean, little it, beat. It does make sense. I think also it was implied that distance was a factor. I think Miss Lewis talked about that in mm. earlier in the arc. So, yeah, like she may have had an easier time of protecting against it than, say, Isadora, who was like, you know, what, 30 metres away or something. Yeah, true. But it is... Uh, you know, distance is a factor, but we haven't seen any hints that, like, Johannes knows about Blake, which may... I mean, I guess we haven't spent that much time with him, but it might have come up in the Mag's arc. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, th- and that's where the chapter ends. Um, and on the whole, I quite like this chapter. I 
you know, I, I do actually quite like Jeremy as a character. Um, Me too. And I'm excited to, to have him kind of back in play. He was kind of set up to do something potentially back in Toronto, but then that kind of never realized, which maybe was intentional or maybe was just the story kind of started going in a different direction. Either way, I'm keen to have him back again. Yeah, I definitely spent most of like arcs five, six, and seven waiting for the Jeremy shoe to drop. Yeah. Uh, and then it never came and over arcs eight and nine, I kind of forgot about him. So it was definitely really good to have this interlude here to kind of be like, oh shit, yeah, Jeremy, like we, yeah, we haven't had that, that shoe drop yet. Uh, yeah. And, and now we kind of see it here. Yeah. Um, I think this was always what well, was probably intended because he's been tied to Sandra uh, since we, well, I mean, that's how we met him is in yeah, Sandra's interlude. Yeah. Yeah, uh, anyway, he's back on the board, uh, and uh, let's see let's see what he does. Um, mm-hmm. Now, before we wrap up, we've reached the end of another arc, so let's just kind of do a quick lap around and uh, see what we thought about this arc as a whole. Uh, so, obviously, Null, uh, the concept of nothingness, is uh, obviously mm-hmm. an apt description for the Abyss, um, and Blake's kind of journey to pull himself out of being nothing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Drains spends all its time trying to grind you into nothing yeah yeah so that's it's a pretty straightforward connection yes uh but the other one the the secondary meaning that i think is is one of the primo ones uh impact so far is uh contracts legally contracts becoming null uh null and void when they are terminated when when contracts expire or you know become invalidated um and obviously that happens a lot this this arc, right? Like Blake as the Thorburn heir is kind of a contract that is nulled. Uh, Blake as a client of the lawyers, nulled. Uh, Blake's kind of karmic record seems to have been nulled or his status as a practitioner at least. Um, I mean, yeah, well, like, good. Like, yep, <laughs> that's yep. a good thing. <laughs> I, all his connections, nulled, and his uh, past, nulled. So Blake really, uh, all of, every every kind of rule that has applied to Blake so far has basically been snapped off which is what makes me think that you know he was able to lie in the abyss and we don't know if he's a practitioner or not anymore but it kind of feels like he's not a practitioner anymore just because that would fit the vibe of all the contracts he made having become nulled which also means if that's true um evan is no longer his familiar so we'll see what happens there yeah i'm very interested to see what what exactly has happened all there Um, yeah but yeah, I mean, obviously, overall, this this whole arc was about the drains kind of grinding Blake down into nothing, and yeah, he sort of reached there in a way when he found out his past was all fake, and now he's sort of begun the task of building himself back up. Yeah, um, and I mean, you know, Jeremy is is also obviously as the interlude character of this arc, he fits into this in an interesting way because he was kind of hollowed out years and years ago by uh, being an acolyte of Dionysus. Um, mm-hmm. But there's still there's still a hint of hu- humanity or human emotions in there uh, with his feelings for Sandra. Yeah, um, and and kind of being human, I guess, is is a through line throughout this entire arc, right? Um, oh, for sure. Where Blake is talking about fighting very very hard to maintain his humanity, but then kind of realizing, nope, you don't have any humanity because you're not a human. So mm. <laughs> he kind of starts uh, casting it off at that point, um, and we we obviously see Jeremy kind of struggling to walk the line between being an actual human being and being mm. just a, a priest to, to Dionysus. Um, I mean, a, a through line of the whole story has been like, uh, you know, what exactly is, is good and, yeah, and unique true. about being a human. Yeah. Um, like, like by becoming a practitioner, you already make yourself a little bit other is something yeah. that we've been told numerous times. And, and I, I think Jeremy is maybe a case where we're sort of seeing that in action. Um, yeah. 
in in that sort of less monstrous or physically monstrous way um and then obviously that that very much applies to blake this arc as well as he literally finds out that he is other (laughs) he became too much of a practitioner yeah Um, but yeah that's uh that's null and that's the end of this uh arc and the end of our episode talking about it as well um thanks everybody for joining us uh, if you want to uh, leave us your thoughts on Null, Null 9.x, or Null in general, or this show in general, the best place to do that is in our discussion threads, which will be linked down in the bottom of the uh, of the episode description there. Yeah, but if you're sick of this show, if you've just said, no, nine mm-hmm. arcs, that's enough. <laughs> Me um, too, am I right? So, so, so you go. <laughs> Mood. But, uh, uh, <laughs> head to doofmedia.com, and maybe there'll be something else that tickles your fancy. Yes. Uh, I think... Um, you know, Vow to View is is just wrapping up and is about to transform into uh, what you say. Which is that I'm what they're going much... with on the calendar? Yes. It's still called the OC, but spelled not how no, you would I'm, expect. I'm fairly it. sure. I'm fairly sure they've changed the the name to what you say. I, I'm, uh, gonna, I'm very excited. I'm going to come in uh, with a hot take here, Elliot, for you. Um, yeah. Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap. That song, that what you say song, is a bad song. Like. It's like three minutes long, and the first two and a half minutes are all build up to that one moment where it goes, mm, what you say, etc., etc. And and the first two and a half minutes are so boring. Uh, anyway, Imogen Heap, Hot Take, coming at you. I've honestly never listened to it. Yeah, the only don't... reason I'm aware of the song yeah. is because of the, the OC memes from SNL. Yeah, I don't know how anyone who was picking the music for the OC made it two and a half minutes into the song when then they would be like, oh, this is a good bit. Because I would have given up ages before that. Anyway, uh, hot takes aside. Um, actually, if you're interested in, in hot takes, Doof Media is the place to go because uh, something that's just started happening is um, every month, uh, Scott and Matt will be posting some, uh, well, hot takes maybe isn't the right word, but uh, media criticisms and analysis um, <laughs> as as kind of some written bonus content for patrons at the $10 or above level. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, go to the Doof patron and support it. Um yeah, in fact, we should take a moment because uh, Doof, the Doof patron tiers have just sort of been completely revamped. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you should definitely go check out the page. That's uh, patreon.com slash doofmedia. But yep. there's um there's a whole new $5 per uh, or $5 tier Yep. Um, with some cool new perks. Yes, uh, and that's then as, the Doof Dancer tier. Yes. Uh, and then as, as Ruben said, you know, uh, we've added some extra bonus content stuff uh, to the $10 tier that includes uh, Scott and Matt sort of I think Scott mostly talks about stuff he's he's seen that he doesn't get to talk about on the podcast, and Matt talks about like philosophy and um, yep. all of his like crazy insightful opinions on the universe that I yep. always love reading about. So I'm very excited for those. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, some some cool changes. Uh, again, the place to go there is Patreon.com/slash/DoofMedia. Um, and hey, while you're on Patreon, why don't you check out Wildbo's Patreon? Because of course, uh, uh, it, I think it's fair to say that the Doof Media Network would not exist in the state that it's in without Wildbo's works. Um, so why not throw him some money as well at patreon.com slash Wildbo? Yeah, because if you're an acolyte of Dionysus, you get like a case of beer with mm-hmm. unlimited cans. Mm-hmm. And if you're an acolyte of Wildbo, you get stories that keep having more words and they're <laughs> yeah, all really unlimited good. Unlimited chapters, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so become an acolyte today, I guess is what we're saying. Um, yes. Similarly, you might want to become an acolyte, and by that I mean a follower, of our Twitter, which is at Podcast, where you will see our tweets, uh, including Elliot's live tweeting of Pact, which will be happening sometime after uh, you've listened to this yeah. uh, it should be about 24 hours after this episode airs yeah 
Uh, that's uh, what Monday night for Australians, and if you're not Australian, uh, I don't, I don't know. Well, it's, yeah, it'll be well, the live read will be Tuesday night. Oh yes, for Australians. Okay, my mistake. Anyway, um, yeah, so all kinds of great things you can do. Uh, go to doofmedia.com and you can check out most of these links. And otherwise, we will see you on Friday the sixteenth as we kick off uh, Malafide Arc Ten with ten point one, and we'll see you then. heck does malafide mean i don't even know if i pronounced it right maybe it's malafide who knows anyway we'll find out bye see ya